0: Life is filled with both sunshine and storms, but without God's navigation, souls can easily become spiritually shipwrecked. Anchored in Christ is a weekly broadcast that ministers the scriptures so we can know Christ the Savior and enjoy salvation, security, strength, and stability found only in Him as we set sail through life's marvelous journey. Here's Pastor David Kahiwat. 1
1: Kings chapter number 18, beginning in verse number 17. The Bible says this And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the Groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Here in this passage, let me introduce to you the main players in this scene. The first player that we find is none other than King Ahab. King Ahab was described by one preacher as a vile human toad who squatted upon the throne of Israel. He was one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. The Bible tells us of him in 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 33 and 1 Kings 21 verses 25 and 26. And it describes him as one who did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. You see, he was a, a wicked, spineless jellyfish of a king. He had a command. Of a, of a nation's army and command of a nation's wealth but he had no command of his own lusts and his own appetites he wore rich robes but he had a singing, sinning wicked troubled heart beneath them he ate the finest foods that, that uh, uh, was served on splendid dishes by servants who were obedient to his every beck and nod but he had a starved soul he was a king with plenty of authority Yet he lived nearly all of his ministry under the thumb of his wicked wife Jezebel, the real ruler of the land, a tool in her hands. Now, if you were to take that name Ahab and do a study in the Hebrew language, you would find, I believe, you would find that an equal transliteration of that name Ahab in the English language would be William Jefferson Clinton. But I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong about that. All right. You'll get that later on, too. Okay, that's a joke. All right, let me give you the second player in this scene. The second player in this scene are the false prophets. There were 450 of these false prophets who were the priests of uh, of the God of heat and fire, Baal. In Baal worship, many people would offer human sacrifices to be burned to this God to appease his anger. These were the men who operated this foul worship. And then there were 400 prophets of Jezebel, who were the prophets of Astra, or we would commonly know that goddess as Venus. Astra was the illicit, immoral goddess who was known for her affairs with other gods and with human beings, and she was loose in her morals and indulgent in her flesh and lust, hence the reason Jezebel chose her to be her god. Let me introduce you the third player in this scene, and it's none other than God's people, the nation of Israel. Here were God's chosen people whom He had delivered out of bondage from the hand of the Egyptians. These were people who uh, were delivered miraculously through the Red Sea. They were God's chosen nation, but they were the ones who grumbled and complained in the wilderness rather than praising God for His guidance and deliverance, thus imposing God's judgment upon themselves to wander aimlessly for 40 years. Now they're an established nation with an established king because they wanted to be just like the nations in the land. Like the heathen. We find that this people, get this, God's people, were mixing the worship of God with the worship of Baal. They worship Jehovah to, uh, to please the prophets and themselves, and they worship um, Jehovah with a portion of their heart to appease their conscience. These were people that were bent on playing both sides of the fence. One part on God's side and another part on the world's side. And they thought it didn't matter to God. You know what? Young people look this way. I look in this audience right now. I watched you. I observed you out there. And I see some people, some young people here who are doing the same thing. You've got one foot. In Christianity, because that's what your parents make you do. And you've got one foot in the world, because that's what your heart wants to do. You're playing on both sides. You can't be on both sides of the fence. Let me introduce to you the fourth player in this scene. It's Elijah the Tishbite. Here, this mouthpiece of God was at a time when tens of thousands of God's people had forsaken God's word thrown down God's altars and slain God's prophets with the sword 1st Kings chapter 19 verse number 10 he was God's tall cedar that wrestled without bending or breaking against the paganistic cyclones of his day he was God's granite wall that stood up and out against the rising tides of wickedness he was strong in the face of a wicked leader a man of passions like as we are yet fervent and effectual in prayer and he issued a challenge to the false prophets, and to the nation of Israel as to the reality of God. Here, he confronts the nation of Israel and poses a thought-provoking question that not only applied to the nation of Israel in that time, but it also applies to us in our time. Look in verse number 21. In verse number 21, the Bible says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long? How long halt ye between two opinions? Let me stop there. Here when he said, how long halt ye, that word halt literally means to hop back from one side or the other. He's saying all right, how long are you gonna keep going from one side to the other? If the Lord be God, he says, if you really are a follower of Jehovah God, if you really believe in the one that delivered us out of the the uh, bondage of Egypt, if you truly believe in him, what does he say? Then follow him. You know what he was saying? If you are a believer of Jehovah, then you better get serious with God. But then he says, but if Baal... Then follow him. You know what he was doing? He was saying, you need to choose sides. You cannot have both. You need to choose either God or you choose the world. You cannot do both. And he says, how long are you going to keep on doing it? How long are you going to keep on uh, playing both sides of the fence? And you know how they answer him? You know what their reply was? Nothing. Look in verse 21. It says, and the people answered him, not nothing a word some of you have that same understanding right now as this, as this nation of Israel you are being put in a position where you have to make a choice it's either all God and all the world but you cannot have both how long are you going to keep on living that way and some of you are sitting there thinking you know I'm not, I don't want to get rid of some of these things that I do but I know I should be living for God I don't know how, how long I'm going to keep living this way they answered him not a word Do you realize that God wants you to be serious with Him? He doesn't want any casual Christians. He wants those who are all out for Him. God expects you and me to be serious. Do an internal examination. Are you 100% sold out to God? If God is really your God, if Jesus truly is your Savior, then you better give Him your all. But if you'd rather be like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, think like the world, be like the world, then don't you call yourself a Christian and give Jesus Christ a bad name. If the Lord be God, then follow Him. But if Baal, if the world, then follow Him. You cannot have both and expect God to bless and be pleased with both. Matthew 6.24 No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God must either have all of your life or he will have none of it and he will not share your allegiance. It is high time you quit straddling the fence and playing both sides. You must get serious with God. Now in verses 22 through 26, Elijah gathers together the prophets at Mount Carmel and articulates the parameters of the the challenge. He says, you guys get yourself a a, a bull, I'll get myself a bull, and you offer a sacrifice, and then I'll offer a sacrifice, you call upon your God, and then I'll call upon my God, and the God that brings down fire from heaven, that God is going to be the one that we worship. That'll be the true God. So, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says that they dressed the bullock, and they laid on the altar, and they call on Baal from morning until noon, but there was no answer. You know why? Because their God wasn't real. Their God was something that they conjured up in their own minds. So you know what they do? They get themselves worked up in an emotional frenzy and they begin to jump up and down on the altar. Meanwhile, Elijah, well, he gets kind of sarcastic as he's watching all this, you know? And so he begins to mock them. Look at verse number 27. It says, And it came to pass at noon, that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he's pursuing, or he is on a, in a journey, or per he sleepeth and must be awakened. You know what he was saying? You know what was happening there? He said, Hey guys, this is what you need to do. Turn it up the volume a little bit, because you know he's supposed to be a God. Maybe he's in the conversation, he's talking with somebody, or maybe he's uh, uh, busy uh, hunting, he's pursuing, or maybe he's on a vacation, or maybe he's falling asleep, and you need to wake him up. Well, the false prophets begin to show their true devotion, hoping that their actions will spur the actions of their God, but it's not going to happen. So they engage in self-destruction through cutting themselves. Then once the false prophets finish their emotional frenzy, and their God don't answer, their gods don't answer, then Elijah says, All right, you're done. My turn. And then he just demonstrates to them what it really means to be serious with God. And that's what I want us to look at tonight. All right? how Elijah demonstrated what it means to be serious with God. If you want a title for this message, here it is. Getting Serious with God. Alright, number one. First of all, I want you to see that Elijah, in order to demonstrate how serious he was with God, the first thing he did was, he repaired the practice of worship. He repaired the practice of worship. Look in verses 30 through 32. The Bible says, And Elijah came, uh, excuse me, said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he built a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. Now here on the mountain there had been an altar of Jehovah, even it was called by the, uh, the unsaved heathens as uh, the uh, altar of Carmel, and it was built in the time of the Judges. The altar had been built by some of the ancestors of the Israelites for the offering of sacrifice to God. It was a legitimate offering at one time. However... Over the years, the Baalites broke, it, broke down the altar out of their hatred to Jehovah God. The problem with Israel was this. They were not serious about worshipping God. Worship is that one essential activity that must take precedence over every other duty of life. Worship comes from the Anglo-Saxon word meaning to attribute worth to an object. There are a couple of forms of worship that many Christians miss out on. The first one is this. Most Christians miss out on public worship. They don't practice public worship properly. The Bible says in Isaiah 29, verse number 13, "...wherefore the Lord said, For as much as his people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men." Ezekiel thirty three thirty one And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, get this now, listen very carefully, but they will not do them. Did you catch that? The prophet was saying that they come as the people come, and they sit in front of them, just like you're doing right now. And they hear the words, just like you're doing right now, but you won't do them. Most of you have been uh, grown up in church. But you've heard these things, you've heard preaching over and over and over, but you're no closer to God than you were right after you got saved because you're not obeying the Word of God. You don't do it. Just like the nation of Israel... They hear thy words but they will not do that for with their mouth they show much love but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Oh, how many times have you sung in church Jesus is all the world to me when in fact it really is not true. You could sing the hymns that we sang tonight. You could sing all those songs that you do at church but if you're not, your heart is not in tune with God then you are a false worshiper. And the people of Israel they were neglecting public worship. Some of you are even sitting there thinking, I wonder how the Cubs are doing tonight. Well, that's a no-brainer. You know, I don't even know why you have to use any brain cells for that one. But to many Christians, you know what? Being in chapel, hearing preaching is merely a vehicle to appease your conscience for your carnality throughout the rest of the week, or you make going to church a social hour rather than letting God speak to your heart. You come to church to do your time rather than get serious and, and, you co- and come to church as an act of God. You don't do that. A worship of, to God, you don't do that. You see, number one, they neglected public worship. Number two, most Christians neglect private worship. Private worship. If your private worship is right, then your public worship will also be right. You cannot worship God one day out of the week if you do not worship Him seven days out of the week. You know what that means? If you are not worshiping God every single day of your life, spending time in the Word of God, spending time in prayer, if you are not worshiping God every single day, then Sunday means nothing to God for you. And I would venture to say that a good majority of you young people here tonight haven't been reading your Bibles regularly you're not worshipping privately. You see, most most young people are missing genuine personal worship, private worship. Psalm 63, 1, the Bible says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee. You see, the one more needful thing that needs that we really need to concentrate in our Christian experience above all else is spending time with God alone. To be a true worshiper of God must be your passion. Some of you spend more time on Facebook than you do in the faith book. The Bible tells us In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse number five, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Matthew twenty-two, verse thirty-seven. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Matthew, excuse me, Mark twelve thirty. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Luke ten twenty seven. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. Let me ask you, there's a three-letter word in all those verses that is, all, that is very encompassing, and it means that if you're doing it, you're serious with God. What is that three-letter word? All. All. God does not want some of your heart God wants all of your heart. If you aren't totally sold out to God, but give yourself to worldly things, you know what that God calls that? God calls that spiritual adultery. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse number 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If you are a blood-bought child of God, You are engaged to Jesus Christ and you are part of the bride of Christ but you try to marry yourself with the world that is called spiritual adultery. It's just like this, All right, Look this way. If I said, I give 98% of my heart to my wife but 2% of my heart I give to another female, would I be a faithful husband? Yes or no? Would I be a good husband? Yes or no? Would I be an idiot husband? Yes or no? Okay, then why is it that you give God 98% or 95% and 5% you give to the world and you expect God to bless that? If you're not 100% sold out to God, you're not a good Christian any more than I'm a good husband if I'm giving myself to another female. God expects you to give Him your all. Genuinely and in truth. John 4, 24, God is the Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let me ask you, are you serious with God about your worship? When you go to church, why do you go? Do you go to church to say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I want to know more about you. I want to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Or do you go to church because your parents drag you to church? Are you aware, young people, that over 60% of graduates in high school graduates of high school including Christian high schools over 60% graduate from high school never to go back to church 60% or more not only did Elijah demonstrate how serious he was with God by repairing the practice of worship but secondly he demonstrated how serious he was with God By returning to sacred prayer. By returning to sacred prayer. Look in verses 36 and 37. The Bible says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, that thou hast turned their back again. Here, this 63-word prayer was the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, and it moved him. James chapter 4, verse number 2, the Bible says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. It has been said that only God can move mountains, but it's only prayer that moves God. But why is it then that we aren't seeing a movement of God in Christian schools? Why is it that we aren't seeing a real movement of God in in youth groups? Why is it that we aren't seeing a real movement of God in our homes? I'll tell you why I look this way. It's because of a serious neglect of sacred prayer. Are you serious in your prayer life? See, these these, uh, priests back in the old days were serious with God. In the old days, when the Israelites had the temple built, the most holy place was called the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies once a year. Do you know how serious it was to enter into the Holy of Holies, young people? The priest was, the high priest was not allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies with an ounce of sin in his heart. So, when he entered into the Holy of Holies, there was on his robe some bells tied all around the fringe on the hems. So that when he went into the Holy of Holies and he did the work, the bells would ring and the priests in the, in the tabernacle would hear the, the bell going off so they knew he was still alive. But if he was in the Holy of Holies and the bells stopped moving, uh, stopped sounding, then they knew that that high priest was dead because sin cannot enter into the, high, into the Holy of Holies. And that's also why the high priest had a rope tied to his ankle. Because if he died in the Holy of Holies the other priests in the temple would pull him out of the Holy of Holies by that rope that was tied to his ankle. That's how serious it was to enter into the Holy of Holies. But some of you, you don't take entering into the Holy of Holies very seriously. Your prayer lives are shallow and superficial. A preacher once said, As a man prays, so is he. You know what that means? The way you pray is the extent of what kind of Christian you are. That, and that means if your prayer life is shallow, superficial, and short, you are a superficial, shallow Christian. But Elijah says, the Bible tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, he was an effectual fervent prayer warrior. Let me, let me ask you when was the last time you got on your face before God and you said God would you please do a work in my heart would you bring down fire from heaven Lord I want to get serious with you dear God would you please save my unsaved parents would you please save my unsaved neighbors would you please save my unsaved uh, friends in school when was the last time you got on your face before God the Bible says in Psalm fifty-five, seventeen: evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice you know what most teenagers pray evening and morning and noon but their prayer life consists of this Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Bless it to my body. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And that's the extent of your prayer lives. When's the last time you got on your face before God? Not for two minutes, but for 20 minutes. 30 minutes. Or even an hour. Or have you neglected sacred prayer? James 5.16, it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. And you cannot have that the hand of God. You cannot see the hand of God if you've got sin in your heart, just like the priest could not go into the Holy of Holies with sin in their hearts. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. I would venture to say, look this way, that the reason why you don't see the hand of God is because you've got sin in your life. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Get this now. On the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. God will demonstrate himself strong only to those whose hearts are in tune, focused, complete, serious with him. Is God showing himself strong in your life? Or do you not see him in your prayer lives. Number one. He repaired the practice of worship. Number two. He returned to sacred prayer. And then in verse number 38. The Bible says. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice. And the wood and the stones and the dust. And licked up the water that was in the tomb. And when all the people saw it. They fell on their faces. And they said. The Lord he is the God. The Lord he is the God. You see when the people saw The fire fall from heaven revival broke out and they cried out the Lord he is the God the Lord he is the God you know what revival is revival is a spiritual awakening to God and that's exactly what happened they were awakened spiritually to who the real God was not only did he get serious about repairing the practice of worship and and returning to sacred prayer notice what he does in verses 40 and 41 he says and as Elijah said unto them take the prophets of Baal Let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a a sound of abundance of rain. The third thing that he did to demonstrate how serious he was with God was this. He removed evil influences. When the people got serious with God, then Elijah acted on that decision, and he, and he said, "All right, then. If you're serious with God, then we're going to remove the things that draw your hearts away from God. Get all those prophets, take them down to the brook Kishon, and slay every single one of them." Second Corinthians five seventeen. The Bible says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new." Are you serious with God today? If you're serious with God, you need to get rid of the objects that are distracting and drawing your hearts away from God in true allegiance. I have one question for you. How long? How long, hold ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him.
0: You've been listening to Anchored in Christ with Pastor David Kahiwat. For more information visit anchorbaptistchurchsd.org. Tune in next week at the same time for Anchored in Christ.